Our epistle reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Let us all say with, read with one voice. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. And our gospel lesson comes to us from Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is in the temple. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Go forth into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak. There are several ways in which we might think about who are the weak. Perhaps the first thought that comes to mind is that the weak are those who are physically weak perhaps having suffered an illness or recovering from a surgery, or perhaps becoming weak as what happens to us as we naturally grow older. Certainly Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan is an example of supporting the weak. Another way to think about supporting the weak is our care for the emotionally weak, those who have depression or may be experiencing despair. And this is what we discussed last week and when the way that we defined what it means to be faint of heart. Another way to think about supporting the weak is our responsibility for those in our midst who are morally weak. Certainly the Bible and especially the New Testament is concerned about how believers are to support others who are new to Christianity and need the example of more mature to guide and to direct. In fact, that is probably the proper way to read the scripture that we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, help the weak. The implication of the Greek word is 
that we are to help those who are weak in the faith, those who, for whatever reason, may not know what is the right thing to do, or may not have the fortitude to resist the temptation to sin. So with the physically weak, and the emotionally weak, or the faint of heart, and the morally weak, it's a huge category already, and enough to keep you busy all week, pun intended. But I want to stretch our thinking on support the week by saying that this category also includes the socially and economically weak. In fact, I will hope to make the argument today that one of the core narratives of the Bible is the care and concern for those who are the most vulnerable in our society. The weak by definition, meaning those who cannot support themselves. The least, the last, the forgotten, those who are oppressed by society and the powers that be, and therefore are weakened by poverty and by hunger. And I'll make this argument first by looking at the Bible and then looking at the history of the early church and then present to us a challenge on how we can implement this in our politics today. So first, the Bible. By far the most prevalent understanding of the weak, especially in the Old Testament, is the weak are the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, sometimes called the sojourner or the foreigner. Over and over again in the Bible, from the law of Moses and Deuteronomy to the teachings of the prophets like Isaiah, and even in the Psalms which we sang this morning, Psalm 146, and even again in Psalm 82, this is the prayer book of the Jewish people, God commands the people to care for the weak within their own society. You can see how fundamental this is to Jewish moral theology by looking at chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, which is often titled the essence of the law of Moses. And it is in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy that we are commanded to love and serve Yahweh the Lord and loving Yahweh with all of our heart and our soul. And in that same commandment, the essence of the law is also extended for us to love the stranger and execute justice for the widow and the orphan. As if to say that our love for God and our love for our neighbor are always intertwined and cannot be separated. Furthermore, the reading indicates that God is no respecter of persons and doesn't take a bribe. And so if God looks upon all people as equals, then we also would indicate that all people deserve same treatment. In Leviticus, this commandment to support the weak gets practical instruction. Because in Leviticus chapter 19, which we read from our bulletin, the farmers are commanded to leave the edges of the field and the fallen fruit for others to come and glean. So when you look at the story of Ruth, you will remember that Boaz was instructed, instructed his farmhands to do this very thing. And it was in this way 
Ruth, who had two strikes against her. She was not only a widow, but also a foreigner. It was in this way that Ruth was able to glean the food and to gather food for herself. So caring for the vulnerable and weak in society is so integrated into the life of the faithful in the Jewish theology that it also makes its way into the understanding of what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy. Keeping Sabbath is not just pausing for worship, but it is also a rest from work for everyone. The servants, the male and female slaves that live with you, these are to also have their rest. And so over time, our understanding of keeping the Sabbath day holy includes our concern for the needy, for the poor, for the weak, that is part of what it means to keep Sabbath. And certainly we will see that as we uh, indicate from the Heidelberg Catechism, which we will quote as our affirmation of faith with the banner directly behind me. The Hebrew word for weak is dal, and there is a related Hebrew word dalal, and this translates dangling. So in a sense, the Old Testament understanding of the weak are those who are dangling. We might call it today those who are hanging by a thread. And so what the scriptures are teaching us is that supporting the weak is to support those who are dangling who by definition have had the bottom drop out from underneath them and have no foundation upon which they may support themselves. So this tradition, this tradition of the law of Moses and even from the very beginning when God spoke to Abraham saying, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to everyone. This is the tradition in which Jesus came. When Jesus' mother found out that she was to have a child, she sang what we now call the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in that song, she declares why it is that God is so good. She sings, the Lord has brought down from the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And Mary's song, the Magnificat itself, is an echo of the song that Hannah sang in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah sings her praise song to God. There is no rock like our God. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. So it is no surprise for us that when Jesus inaugurates his ministry in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, that he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and says that the scripture has now been fulfilled as he is the one who has been anointed to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. And wouldn't you know it that Jesus 
throughout his ministry, spent most of his time with the weak, with the marginalized, the outcast, the sinner, the ones that society did not care about and did not support. And his miracles are the miracles that he gave, what, to the weak, to the blind, to the lame, to the ones with leprosy, the widow of Nain, whose only son had just died, the bent over woman, the woman with the issue of bleeding, blind Bartimaeus there on the side of the road. So, what the church has done then is picked up these teachings and put them to good use, bringing us now to the history of the early church. The church in its first three centuries experienced tremendous growth. And the reason why there were so many converts to the faith is because the church held fast to two primary and very important witnesses. The first witness is what we have mentioned before is the witness of the martyrs, those who were persecuted for their faith and died for their faith. And as they went to their death, they prayed for those who persecuted them and said, let us not return evil for evil. And secondly, the other witness that was so critical for church growth evangelism, if you want to call it, is that the early church continued the Jewish practice of caring for the weak. The widows found a home within Christian communities, and it was the early church that embraced them and gave them jobs to do. In fact, the widows became so important that scholars now believe that eventually this is how nunneries developed over time because women who felt called to minister to the weak felt the best way that they could do that was to remain a widow, what we call now a widow or just never married, and to live communally together. Educated Greeks and Romans looked down upon the early church because it was primarily the rabble. It was made up of the poor, the hungry, the widows, and the orphans. If you were hungry, you came to the church and you were fed. If you needed a place to stay, you came to the church and the church gave you sanctuary. And it is upon this great tradition that the church has continued throughout the centuries to work for justice and for social change. All throughout the centuries, Christians who believe that God cares for the weak have done remarkable things within our society. Christians have built hospitals and schools. Christians have initiated hunger programs and spoke out against injustices and tried to work within the political system for reform and change on behalf of the weak. In our own day and in our own context, this same tradition carries on uh, even with the First Presbyterian Church in Dallas, the stew pot, and even here what you have done with the sack lunch ministry and the Saturday morning community breakfast, and even the collection for cans for cows. Christians have ever been involved in politics and working to bring the justice of our faith 
to make a real impact on our society in the, in the lives of everyday people. So now for our case study, supporting the weak and the vulnerable, poor and hungry children, frankly, is just not that popular. Poverty as a modern issue for America today is not even on the radar for politicians. It wasn't even mentioned in the last presidential election by either candidate in either party. And the popular ideology now is to use government not to support the weak, but to use government rather to support the rich and to make corporate CEOs even more wealthy. In fact, just Friday in Washington, D.C., the, the House narrowly passed a bill that would cut $40 billion from the SNAP program, which is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And the bill may never go anywhere, but uh, the, the, the attack, the target was the SNAP program, which supports veterans and school lunches, single parents, the elderly, and children living in hunger and poverty. And the ideology behind these initiatives is not rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition of supporting the weak. Rather, this is a form of social Darwinism, which unfortunately has been adopted by many people of faith. This ideology is based on Darwin's survival of the fittest and has become even more popular lately in the resurgent writings of the anarchist Ayn Rand. And the belief is that those who are weak just simply need to die off and only the strong will survive. Rather than looking at balancing the budget in other areas by cutting waste in uh, military spending or perhaps reducing the huge subsidies to already wealthy corporations, these votes to cut funding for the SNAP program is telling children, veterans, single parents, and the elderly that they just need to toughen up, support themselves, and pull, them up, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And if you don't make it, it's your own fault. Of course, this line of thinking is almost always propagated by those who have the power and those who have the, the authority, which is almost always people of privilege, because people of privilege have been born into a society that has given them social and economic safety nets for support. Of course, now the new Pope, Pope Francis, has called our current worldwide economic policies a heartless cult of money. And the Pope has called on the policymakers in all countries to return to a person-centered ethic in the world of finance and economics. And has, the Pope has also encouraged those who are in power to truly, what he called, be in service for the common good of their peoples. And it is no surprise that Pope Francis has rooted himself firmly within the biblical and historical traditions of the care for the poor. And even after he was elected papacy, short, shortly thereafter, he lamented by saying, 
Oh, how I wish for a church that is poor and for the poor. In our own tradition, John Calvin believed that the city magistrates within Geneva, their job was more important than the roles of the pastors because he believed that God is concerned for the welfare of all aspects of the children of God's life. Even uh, running water and sewer were so important for the life of all people. So this is not a question of whether or not we are liberal or conservative or CNN or Fox or uh, Republican or Democrat. This is an issue where we as Christians stand firmly rooted within our own Judeo-Christian heritage and truly struggle faithfully to figure out how to apply these words in the government work for the common good with the understanding that the government is not an evil institution. We are the government. And the government is an, has an opportunity to do good and to be an agent of, of taking care and supporting the weak and to be an institution that can be a government for all the people and not just a select privileged few. There will always be those who take advantage of social programs, but it is not necessary that we withhold care for all who are the silent ones who will never complain and never take advantage and truly need support because they are dangling. I fondly remember a member of the church I served in Iowa who talked about his own history, and his history was not a history of privilege. In fact, he talked about his own history of being an orphan growing up in a children's home in Iowa. He wrote what I believe to be one of the best stewardship letters I've ever heard read, and he wrote to the congregation in which he recalled how he himself was dependent upon others. He was, he was, his life was dependent upon the graces of those around him, saying that he wore clothes that were donated by others, that he ate meals that were made possible by the financial contributions of strangers that he will never meet, and that he was educated by teachers who cared more about supporting the weak than making a lot of money. Of course, he did recall how he was eventually adopted by a family and grew up on a farm in Iowa and believed that he was truly in heaven. He was one of the happiest and most generous people I've ever met because he always remembered that who he became was not the result of his own efforts alone, even though he was quite a hard worker, but that his life was the result of grace and gift. And though he never put it this way, it is my imagination that my Iowa friend knew his life was the product of a long biblical and historical tradition of supporting the weak. He knew that Jews and Christians working in all times and in all places have done tremendous work 
to make this world more like the world that God intends. For that, he lived a grateful life. And because we worship a God here in this place that has inspired you to do so many wonderful things within your own community and all over the world to support the weak, for that I am also truly grateful. And that we worship a God who loves everyone, but seems to have a particular a particular persuasion towards the weak and inspires us to do what we can to support the weak. I am grateful. Amen.